Welcome to Crazy Enough to Win. I'm your host, John Grubbs. Welcome to the podcast. So today we have a special subject for you. It may be a little heady. It may be a little, well, intellectual. But I think you will enjoy the ride nonetheless. So I teach. I challenge. I go big because I'm hungry for more in life. So here's the question. Here's the topic for today's podcast. How do we overcome status quo bias? How do we get beyond our need for things to remain the same? And I'm going to introduce you to a topic and also a methodology for getting beyond the status quo, for finding, well, the magic in business and possibly your personal life. So get this. Overcoming status quo bias can be a daunting task for leaders. And according to the National Academy of Sciences, People tend to accept the status quo when faced with a complicated decision. So keep that in mind, a complicated decision. And one factor driving this status quo bias is the difficulty of your decision process. So in other words, the more difficult a decision, the more preoccupied we are with the status quo. It's easier to just go with what you know than to explore something that may challenge your brain or cause you to burn more mental calories. And the brain mechanisms involved in making difficult decisions involving a status quo bias, well, they are significant. And they operationally, this is the National Academy of Sciences, operationally define a status quo bias as a suboptimal acceptance of a default choice. (laughs) And that's just a fancy way of saying we will accept the default rather than making a difficult decision. And I think that that is a little bit of a narrow framing of the definition. And that's just my opinion. But here's what I do believe when it comes to leadership. I believe over time, leaders tend to accept the status quo as optimal more so than suboptimal. I mean, they don't think that the way they're doing it is suboptimal. And they have talked themselves into this idea that what they're doing is the optimal way of doing things. And folks, here's the magic. It's usually not. It's the status quo. In other words, you accept the status quo as appropriate. And it may not be. And the logic is in, is the inherent problem for many leaders in many organizations. So let's dig a little deeper into that. Status quo bias is a cognitive bias that causes us to resist change and adhere to what is familiar. And according to the academic literature, most people prefer to keep the current state of affairs and are reluctant to take action that will change this state. (laughs) Status quo bias is related to risk aversion. 
and people tend to view the potential loss for making the change more heavily than the potential for gain. This is why there's so few true entrepreneurs out there that are willing to take the risk for the positive, meaning that we're conditioned at a two-to-one rate to fear loss more than gain. And there's also evidence that when given a choice, we have a bias toward inaction. In other words, failing to act rather than taking decisive action, which requires making a change. So that's a lot to consume. So if you're hearing this correctly, then the way I'm intending this message to go is that we are preoccupied with the present, the way we're doing things and thinking that there is some optimization in our current reality. And if it comes to changing, we fear losing by changing at a two to one rate over a possible gain. And I want to introduce you to a process that aids in overcoming status quo bias for your business. So today's topic is more so about your business, but you can apply this to any facet of your life. So listen to this. According to Investopedia, a value chain, yes, I said value chain, is a business model that describes the full range of activities needed to create and sell a product or service. For most companies that produce goods, a value chain comprises the steps that involve bringing a product from conception to distribution and everything in between. And some examples are procuring raw materials, manufacturing functions, and marketing activities. And we've got to go back to good old Michael E. Porter of Harvard Business School. And he introduced a value chain concept in his book, Competitive Advantage, Creating and Sustaining Superior Performance. And listen to what he wrote in that book. Competitive advantage cannot be understood by looking at a firm as a whole. We can't just look at a business and say, hey, that's a good business. He says competitive advantage stems from the many discrete activities a firm performs in designing, producing, marketing, delivering, and supporting its product. Understanding your value chain is the first step in overcoming status quo bias. So keep this concept in your head because we're going to come back to it. The value chain means you have to break each individual part of your business into discrete parts, into subparts. And once you've done that, once you've created that value chain, well, now you can work some magic because you must know what you do and how you do it to consider your best plausible alternative, which in this episode and from now on, I'll refer to as a BPA, best plausible alternative, BPA. At, and you want to look at a BPA at every point on your value chain. So you can go back to designing did you really design it in the optimal way? And what is the best plausible alternative for a secondary design? Hmm. Because if you designed it the wrong way in the beginning, that means you have to go all the way back to the beginning to consider change. And we've got way too much status quo bias to do that. So here's the idea. 
when we combine a value chain analysis with the PBA methodology, it confronts the status quo in your organization. Interesting, right? So let's talk about how this occurs. So think about your own business for a moment. How often do you re reconsider a BPA for its current structure? In other words, if you didn't structure your business the way it is now, what is the best plausible alternative to your structure? And if you are going to redesign your business, what is the BPA for how it should be structured? So like most people, this is a difficult question because the status quo bias assumes that your business is structured optimally. But is it? What if parts of your value chain are not optimal? So I've coined the term BPA analysis. And this analysis can reassure you or provide you enough information to overcome status quo bias. You say, well, how do you do that? Well, in a BPA analysis, leaders intentionally dissect the business into different parts of their value chain. And to keep this simple, to make this really easy for us to grasp, let's say you identify 10 components of your value chain. There may be eight, there may be 15, but let's just say you identify 10 components of your value chain. You force your team to consider a best plausible alternative, a BPA, for each of the 10 parts of the chain. Once complete, you compare the current reality with the alternate BPA. And when you do this, you're shocked to find out that a different approach has never been presented for many parts of your business. People are merely doing things because that is how they have been doing things. And BPA can also be at the macro business level organizationally, meaning you look at the whole business as a value chain, or done at the micro business level for subfunctions. Let's say that your marketing process wants to use a BPA analysis. They can break down all of the subfunctions within marketing to do so. So here's a real simple example to help you get your mind around this. Let's say you are currently using Microsoft Office for your business and you pay a licensing fee each year. Have you considered using Google Docs as a BPA, a best plausible alternative? Google Docs is free and it works seamlessly between platforms. So when you do your BPA, you may ask, why are you paying Microsoft? It's just an example. And organizationally, how many BPAs are available in your business? And how much value are you wasting because you haven't looked or, or at least considered a different choice? So here's another one. Let's say your team has worked on an acquisition strategy for a couple of months. The longer they work on the acquisition, the less likely they are to consider a BPA. The leader's job is to make sure your team sees the possible investment as a strategy instead of the strategy. I mean, what if, what if market changes occur? Or what if another company actually becomes a better acquisition target? Interesting, right? So in my experience, helping people consider alternatives 
is an influential role of the leader. People naturally become single-focused over time. And the argument is that it takes too much time and too much work to develop a BPA for everything. Come on, John, get serious. But does it? Is having a BPA for each part of your value chain actually twice the work? Hmm, I think not. For most any discretionary process, the result is the same. And you have to ask yourself, at what point does divergence between two alternatives occur? Gets this pretty heady, right? So the presumption is that divergence occurs early in any process. However, a deviation may not happen until a final decision. Here's a simple one for you. What color white should you select for your kitchen cabinets? So let, let's peel that apart a little bit. A considerable amount of work has already occurred before the paint color decision. You may have uh, talked to a painter. You may have gotten bids. You may have checked references. You may, you've done a lot of work before you get to the point of making a paint color decision. And in the end, you end up with two choices. Is it Greek vanilla or Greek villa or alabaster? Those are actual paint colors, by the way, because you like them both, but you select alabaster as your first choice with Greek Villa as your BPA, your best plausible alternative. Does this make sense? Your choice between alternatives may occur at the beginning, middle, or the end. Don't just assume they all happen in the beginning. So as a leader, you can develop your team to perform a BPA analysis simply by asking questions. Let's say your sales team is looking for a CRM platform, customer relationship management platform. It's really a database to store all your activities with your potential customers. And they approach you as the CEO for permission to make the purchase. And they pitch a platform by presenting information such as features, performance, and pricing. So in order to prevent or mitigate status quo bias, you simply have to ask, what is the best plausible alternative to this CRM platform? And you as a leader have to resist the urge to overvalue the amount of work invested at this point and simply just approve the expenditure. Status quo bias means they've put so much work into it, it's got to be the best choice. Instead, I want you to start conditioning your team to better consider alternatives. So they tell you that this is indeed the best choice. If they do that, ask them to go back and look for the next best alternative. If we don't buy this platform, what is the alternate solution? Because this action forces them to go back to the point of selection, which is choice divergence. And if they never considered an alternative, that may be the problem. That's the question you ask. Why haven't we considered a best plausible alternative to this CRM platform? However, here's how the leadership works. Over time, they will learn to have a BPA thoroughly evaluated before they approach you for a decision in the future. So it's all about leadership. 
And what may seem like redundancy to your team is building discretionary analytical skills. You're teaching them the skills to look at things from a discretionary standpoint and from an analytical standpoint. In other words, you're doing your job as the leader of developing your team to look for other alternatives, to not be blinded by a single approach. Because I think a team that is capable of thoughtful analysis minimizes status quo bias and its prevailing cousin, groupthink. Groupthink is when you just go along with the group to avoid burning those mental calories, to avoid cognitive friction. And alternative thinking is a skill to learn and master over time. So don't don't set up this prescription in your mind that people are going to be good at this at first. Consider it a skill that they have to practice and master over time. And this is not new thinking. You know, I've shared many times about the 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 divergence between manufacturing and thinking in the in the American manufacturing world versus the Japanese manufacturing world. And we were always taught in in my generation as leaders that if you go to your boss with a problem, you also need to go with a solution. Well, if you try to do that in the Japanese culture, the boss will say, what alternatives did you consider before you selected this solution? And if you said this is the only one, then the boss will tell you, go back and evaluate other alternatives and then come back and let me know if this is the best alternative. So please don't allow your people to become comfortable with one approach or concept too often. It's up to you as the leader to push back and to make them develop a BPA. So here's another. Let's consider that your sales team has an opportunity with a dream client for your company. This is a big one. This is a whale. And closing the deal will change your business forever. And your sales team begins working on a strategy. At some point, you or someone on the leadership team needs to ask the question, what is our best plausible alternative if we meet resistance or this strategy doesn't work? You see, when people go all in with a strategy and it doesn't work, they give up. But if you have an alternative alternative strategy, then you can actually redeploy the second strategy. It's like hitting them with a second wave. It's like attacking from the flank rather than from the front. Your BPA becomes your secondary strategy. So if a direct approach with this company doesn't work, maybe you use a challenger sale model. But you have two approaches at a minimum considered before you approach this potential sale. And guess what? A losing strategy can be accompanied and even complemented by a winning strategy. So this idea of single focus, this idea of a unilateral way of thinking is flawed. We have to look for multiple approaches. When I teach sales training, when I teach sales professionals, I said, you need to come up with two or three deliberate strategies for closing the deal. If strategy one doesn't work, you go with strategy two. 
Strategy two doesn't work, you go with strategy three. You see, it's like salespeople are looking for this silver bullet or, or businesses are looking for this silver bullet, this one magic bullet that is going to make things happen. Well, guess what? There are rarely silver bullets in business. Most companies succeed by using lead bullets and they sling a lot of lead. So consider your BPAs as your lead bullets. Let's, let's sling a lot of alternatives at an idea, at a problem, at an opportunity, and let's see if we can get this thing done. Don't let your people be comforted by singular thinking. And the beauty of this is when you start to peel back the layers in your business, in your life, in, in anything, any facet of your life, you realize that there are multiple alternatives that were never considered. Never considered. So if you enjoyed today's podcast, today's topic, subscribe. Share this podcast with people you care about. Because this podcast is for crazy people. People crazy enough to think about alternatives. People crazy enough to embrace a best plausible alternative analysis. People crazy enough to rethink and relook at how they do things. This podcast is for people crazy enough to win. And if you want to learn more about me, or if you just discovered this podcast and you're wondering who the heck is John Grubbs, you can go to www.johngrubbs.com and you can get a lot of free information. Uh, you can see my YouTube channel. You can get a free book. I give away a free book for everyone that goes to johngrubbs.com. You can download it as a Mobi file if you read your books on Kindle, or you can download it as a PDF. It's your choice. But I encourage you to go there. Spend some time there. There's a lot of information if you found value in today's podcast, because this podcast is for crazy people. I'm undiagnosed with ADD, I'm unmedicated, and I'm hungry. I'm hungry to learn more. This podcast is a podcast for people crazy enough to win. Until next time.